can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. These episodes will cover content with experts in their field on the topic of oral contraceptives, which are prescribed medications. This content is general information only and is not a substitute for individual medical advice. Always seek the guidance of your doctor with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. Welcome to the final episode of this mini-series. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from the experts that we've had on so far. If you have enjoyed this mini-series, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave a review on Apple or head over to our Facebook group, Beauty IQ Uncensored, and leave us a comment. I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Izzy. She is an endocrinologist who's a doctor that specializes in hormones. I certainly enjoyed my chat with her, so hope you do too. But I'll see you over on our regular episodes, and thanks for listening. On today's episode, we are chatting to endocrinologist Dr. Izzy Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We've had a few other experts on for this little mini series, and I thought you're a very important piece of this puzzle, being the hormone expert joining us. So can you tell us what are the different types of hormones that we see in the pill? Well, first we'll talk about the pill. There's two main types. There's the combined oral contraceptive pill, which is really the one that most people are on and is the most effective version of contraception. That one has estrogen and progesterone. So, you know, synthetic versions of estrogen and progesterone. And then there's the progesterone only pill or the mini pill, as the name implies, it's progesterone only. And that one is used for women who are breastfeeding because it doesn't, you know, stop breast milk production. It can also be used for people that might have some kind of contraindications to the normal combined pill if they're prone to getting clots in their legs or have some type of heart disease. We can also use the progesterone only pill. So they're the two main types of pill and they're either a synthetic version of your two main female hormones with the estrogen and progesterone or just the progesterone. Mm -hmm. With the combined oral contraceptive pill, there are different versions and there are some versions now as well that have a an estrogen that's very similar to our own estrogen. And some people, if you find that you want to be on the combined oral contraceptive pill for contraception or some other reason, but you get symptoms, there are some different formulations. Some contraceptive pills have progesterone that can become uh, more like a male hormone in our body. So, you know, finding the right combined oral contraceptive pill. Then if you've had enough of the pill and you want to, you know, or you wanting to know about your fertility, you're thinking about having children in a few years, going off, it can be really good, but, you know, give it a few months um, to, you know, let your body get back into a natural cycle. And what are some of the defining features, I suppose, of each of those hormones, so the progesterone and the estrogen? So the estrogen is really the main female hormone and that's what causes kind of sexual secondary characteristics. You know, we get estrogen at puberty and that causes breast development, those type of things. Mm -hmm. And estrogen has a, it's an anabolic hormone, so it has a stimulatory effect on tissues. So it causes tissue growth. That means that it can stimulate tissue growth and why we see um, it increases the thickness of the endometrium, which is the lining of the uterus. And that's why the combined pill needs to be taken with progesterone because the progesterone prevents that thickening of the endometrium and what we call hyperplasia. So it's really important. The progesterone is really in the pill because if you didn't have the progesterone, it can actually 
um, estrogen alone can cause endometrial cancer. Mm. That's more when we talk about hormone replacement. We talk about unopposed estrogen versus, you know, having progesterone. But it's important for people to understand how the pill works. Yeah. Normally, it's our ovaries that produce hormones in each menstrual cycle. So there's a very finely tuned uh, kind of hormone production that's controlled by our brain and the ovaries produce hormones. They go up and down twice in a menstrual cycle and then we have a period. When we're on the pill, we're getting both of those hormones in a tablet form. Uh. I'm going to now, when I talk about the pill, I'm going to talk about the combined oral contraceptive because that's one most people are on, especially if they're on it for their skin or hair or that type of thing. So with that combined oral contraceptive pill, you're giving your body those hormones. So the brain says, I don't need to tell the ovaries to make hormones because we're already getting, you know, enough hormones. So essentially that communication from the brain to the ovaries is turned off. They're what's called our pituitary hormones. Our pituitary is like the kind of master control, our hypothalamus and pituitary control, the rest of the hormones in their body. So it turns off those messages and the ovaries are hardly producing any hormones. And so when you're on the pill, your hormones are the same the whole, all the time. Mm. If you take the sugar pills, there is a bit of a dip, but so the hormones on the pill, they're the same. First, in a natural menstrual cycle, you're getting a fluctuation of your hormones in that normal cycle. Well, that was going to be my next question is like, how do they prevent pregnancy? But I guess it comes down to those hormone spikes. So yeah, so normally in a menstrual cycle, you know, the whole point is ovulation. Apart from, you know, estrogen is beneficial for our health in lots of different ways the normal menstrual cycle, we get a peak of estrogen in the middle and then we release an egg and then that egg has the opportunity to be fertilized. If it's not fertilized, hormone levels eventually drop and that's what causes the period. Mm-hmm. So the combined oral contraceptive pill, it works in a few ways. But the main way is it prevents ovulation because that communication with the ovary is turned off. Mm-hmm. It also changes the, you know, the cervical, like vaginal mucus and discharge, which makes it like a less favorable environment for, you know, implantation of a embryo to occur or sperm to travel as well. So it's, you know, works in multitude of ways, prevents the egg being released, changes the lining of the endometrium so, you know, an embryo won't implant and also changes the environment so it's harder for the sperm to get there. And with these hormones, I guess looking at it from two angles, so being on the pill and having this consistent delivery of the same hormones versus off the pill, what kinds of things can you expect to experience? So how do they impact our body, I guess, is my question. It's a very big question. Yeah. <laughs> we could spend <laughs> hours talking about this. So I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about why estrogen is important. And, I, you know, I, it makes me sad when female hormones are looked at in these bad ways. You know, oh, I'm hormonal or these bad hormones. Like our hormones are so important for our health. Estrogen, and you know, we know when people have early menopause from, let's say, needing to have their ovaries taken out for maybe cancer or something, you know, they do have all of these health complications. You know, not saying that's not beneficial if that's what they needed. Mm-hmm. So estrogen is really important for our bone health, particularly preventing osteoporosis, which I say isn't a sexy topic, but it is when you're like 80 and, you know, don't want to have a fractured hip. It's also really beneficial for cardiovascular disease and preventing heart disease. You know, you don't really hear of women having heart attacks in their 40s. Yeah. It's really not till after menopause that we see heart disease in women. Mm. Otherwise, you know, also body composition, so lean, multi-mass and insulin sensitivity. So, you know, estrogen is beneficial for preventing type 2 diabetes and, you know, muscle growth, all of those things. So that's, you know, the main benefits of estrogen. Progesterone doesn't have as many systemic benefits. It's really, its main function is for pregnancy 
and making the reproductive system favourable for a pregnancy to occur and preventing that endometrial you know, excess growth inside the uterus. So that's what estrogen is really important for and progesterone. Now, when we get them in a tablet form, either through the pill or sometimes people can get estrogen topically, there are similar benefits. And sometimes people, you know, that might, bodies might not make estrogen, we always replace it. But there are some, you know, side effects and benefits to the combined oral contraceptive pill. The pill is great for managing symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome. It doesn't fix the underlying cause by any means, but it is good for managing the symptoms because it turns off the ovaries production of hormones. And it's that ovaries in polycystic ovarian syndrome, the ovaries are making too much male hormones. And that's why you get, you know, acne, you can get increased body hair. There's other some kind of complex mechanisms that cause insulin resistance, which I won't go into, but the pill turns off that excess male hormone production in polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it does help with symptoms, but it, like I said, it won't address the underlying cause. Mm the pill in terms of side effects, the main ones that I see commonly, and when I say commonly, it's not like we said all the time, but enough that it's something that, you know, you do see from time to time and is important to talk about is migraines. They can increase the risk of having migraines. Mm -hmm. And this is all the combined oral contraceptive pill, it's the estrogen. And the other thing is the increased risk of clots. So deep venous thrombosis, so, you know, clots in the leg. So what happens is when we take the pill, it has to get metabolized by our liver. And when we take it in a tablet form, that interaction at the liver increases the liver's production of proteins that cause clotting. So our body's always in this fine balance between clotting our blood and, you know, breaking clots down. And when we take the oral contraceptive pill, it makes the liver produce more of those clotting proteins. For most people, that is not a problem, especially when we're young and healthy. If we've got some other risk factors for maybe getting clots, let's say we've got a family history of clots in the legs, we're catching an overseas flight, if we're a smoker or we're older, then those risks start to increase. So it's often, you know, the pill alone isn't going to cause a clot in the leg, but if you've got some of those other risk factors, or if you've had a clot, you know, in the leg or in the lungs before, then we wouldn't recommend the pill. Mm-hmm. The ones that we hear a lot about was people worried about cancer, which really isn't actually that significant. The pill actually is quite good at preventing ovarian cancer. If you're on the pill for five consecutive years, we know your risk of getting ovarian cancer is decreased by about 40%. Mm, Wow. And that's lifelong. So it's not like that risk is only when you're on the pill. It's actually lifelong. And it's because every time you ovulate, is an opportunity that some cells could get some mutations and that's how cancer starts. So it does decrease your risk of ovarian cancer, also does decrease your risk of very small amounts of bowel and endometrium. The one we hear about a lot is that it increases the risk of breast cancer, which it does, but it's only when women are on the pill and it's about by 20%. And if you think about most women who are on the pill are in their 20s or 30s, that risk of breast cancer is incredibly low. So if your risk of breast cancer is 0.001 or something, if you're increasing it by 20%, that's 0.0012. So it's only a very small, and that's what we talk about relative versus absolute risk reduction. Mm. And it's really, when we hear statistics, it's really important to know, okay, it increases it by 20%, but what's our baseline risk? Mm -hmm. But if you had a strong family history of breast cancer, you know, you would think about that. Or if you're getting, you know, in your 40s, that risk increases. So there's some of the main, you know, risks that I talk to patients about. And the other one is mental health and, you know, mood. Some women, they feel absolutely rotten on the pill. And that's probably because we have receptors for estrogen in our brain, you know, where we regulate emotion. And it's thought that being on the pill might increase your risk of developing depression by about 1%. Okay. 
That's an interesting statistic. Yeah. That was a lot. No, I love all this information. That's why we're here. We just want to gather as much as we can. (laughs) So that statistic is based on Danish studies. The Europeans are, they're way ahead of us in terms of data collection and they have amazing data collection. They've been shown for women on the pill, there was about a 1% increased risk of being diagnosed and getting medicated for depression. I'd say the confounder is what happens if it's that you're dating a guy who's when you go on the pill um because i've definitely had that experience you know i've been on the pill because i've been in a new relationship and this guy's just a and then i'm like oh i'm being so crazy it's like no, no it must be because i'm the pill it's like you're kind of gaslighting and being a shit boyfriend that's the issue but anyway a lot of people mentally do feel crap on the pill so that's the other thing you know to think about and recognize if yeah. you know could that be related yeah so to follow on from that i guess what happens to our hormone levels when we come off the pill and how does that affect us yeah yeah i'll just go back as well i've said all the side effects of the pill some women mentally feel a lot better on the pill because there's something called premenstrual dysthymic disorder which is like extreme pms so we know rapid fluctuations our hormones it's affecting our neurochemistry there's some research that progesterone Mm -hmm. and rapid changes in progesterone can impact serotonin and some people feel really really terrible in the week or so before their period to the point of suicidality and really poor mental health and so for them some people can go on the pill and actually feel really good yeah often the pill is given a bad reputation Mm. especially in the kind of old health world and I say there's no such thing as a bad medication it's about the right um the right medication for the right patient and really it's the pills being prescribed badly you know a girl goes into a GP with period pain at 15 without it being investigated or properly listened to when she's put on the pill and that's that so you know that's not good but that's not the pills problem that's the medical system's issue yeah yeah so good and bad side effects with the pill and it's all about what's right for you and you know your medical background and why you need the pill. Totally. Yeah, what happens when we go off the pill? So when, like I said, normally the pill turns off our ovaries' production of hormones and normally our ovaries make some testosterone, but when we're on the pill, we've just got estrogen and progesterone. So our testosterone levels are low. Mm -hmm. Now, testosterone acts on the glands in our skin that make sebum and that can cause acne. So for people that get, you know, quite hormonal-related acne, going on the pill can be really good for them because they're turning off that testosterone production. And we see in polycystic ovarian syndrome, there's elevated testosterone and part of why there's acne. Yeah. So when we go off the pill, we're not getting all the, you know, synthetic hormones. It's telling our brain to not, you know, tell the ovaries to do anything. And then usually within a few months, that normal communication between the brain and the ovaries should, you know, restart. If you haven't got your period back within three months from going off the pill, I'd recommend seeing a doctor to make sure there's, you know, nothing of concern going on. But then our hormone level should start to normalize again. Now, when we haven't had a normal menstrual cycle and haven't had, you know, ups and downs of our hormones and our bodies haven't been exposed to, you know, our natural hormones for a while, it can be a bit of an adjustment. And I say to us, you know, when we think about rapid changes in hormone levels, we see them in puberty, we see them in menopause. And, you know, going on and off the pill is another example of that. So it can feel a little bit yucky for a while. Sometimes they might be a little, have a bit more acne. And that, you know, normally should get better within a few months. Sometimes the other situation is that people might have had polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And polycystic ovarian syndrome is not a lifelong diagnosis. You can have it and then get out of it. And it's often related to lifestyle factors and insulin resistance. So if you've been on the pill and unbeknownst to you, you've had polycystic ovarian syndrome, you might go off it and then you've got acne and hair growth 
And it's like, what has happened? Yeah. And it's probably that you developed polycystic ovarian syndrome when you were on the pill, but you just didn't know because it was treating those symptoms so well. Yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my next question, actually, to talk about the hormonal imbalances and, you know, what to do if you think you might have a hormonal imbalance. So I guess that's probably a good segue for us to jump into that. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say the other thing I'm just going to talk about going off the pill is we're going to get a little bit hairier. Yes. Oh my God. That's happening to me. (laughs) That's happening to me right now. (laughs) And that is completely natural. You know, I think we live in this completely airbrush world that we expect women to have, you know, hairless bodies. And anyway, but when we go off the pill, you're going to have more hair growth. And that's not necessary polycystic ovarian syndrome. That's just called having hormones. So please don't think that there's something wrong with you. You know, you'll probably get more body hair, some more pubic hair. You'll notice those kind of things. Guys, it's happening to me. Don't worry. (laughs) And that's just because you've got androgens again. And all women have some male androgens. They're beneficial. You'll notice your libido probably goes up when you go off the pill because you've got those male hormones, you know, androgens again, which we all have. We've got about 120th the amount of men. So that doesn't mean you've got a problem. It's just natural and you've been suppressing that for a long time. So that's one thing as well that you may notice. Yeah. My first thing is, you know, hormone imbalance is not a diagnosis. So, you know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, you know, and it will really help your hormone imbalances. I'm like, what are they really talking about? Like, come on, let's be specific (laughs) here. And sometimes I also think, going off on a bit of a tangent, Sometimes we can pathologize normal emotions and moods and know sometimes we get upset, sometimes we get a bit angry and that we have emotions and that is called being human. So, you know, we don't always have, you know, a hormonal problem to explain. And PMS is normal as well to some degree. We have massive fluctuations in our hormones and I think being aware of it and knowing some PMS, so some irritability, more emotional, the few days before your period is normal. There's a lot of evidence that physical activity can help with those symptoms. But let's talk about, you know, a problem with our hormones. The most common one would be polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. So that is the most common cause of infertility um, due to not ovulating. Mm -hmm. It occurs in about at least 10% of women in kind of reproductive age group. And essentially it's a breakdown in the communication between our brain and our ovaries and our ovaries making too much male hormones. It's associated with insulin resistance. That can be associated with, you know, carrying some extra weight, but a lot of people who even are very lean can get polycystic ovarian syndrome. And signs that you could have that are not having your period, having very heavy periods, because if we don't ovulate, we don't make progesterone, and that can mean our periods are really heavy. Then otherwise you can have increased body hair, acne, finding it hard to lose weight, thinness of our hair, especially in a male-type pattern. So there's some, you know, signs of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Thyroid problems also really common, you know, around 10% of people. In Australia, we've got quite low rates of iodine in the soil, which means we've got an increased risk of getting low thyroid function. And that can present with um, feeling cold, some brain fog, gaining weight, uh, just not feeling yourself. Yeah. So they're the two ones, you know, we see a lot. Insulin resistance, also common and, you know, feeling low energy. And a lot of these things are lifestyle related, but knowing that you've got that problem is really useful because you can know what you need to do lifestyle wise. Mm -hmm. So the best thing probably if you were suspecting something was not right and you've come off the pill is to see your GP and then they can refer you on to the right specialist. I really recommend seeing a GP with an interest in women's health. Yeah. General practice is so ginormous. You know, you mm. need to be able to 
I don't know, like do a baby check and then look after an elderly person's heart failure and then a teenager's acne and then you've got to be really great at mental health and pap smears and skin cancers. Like that just makes my head like, you know, oh my goodness. Yeah, how, how are you meant to be exactly? an expert <laughs> And then you're supposed to all do that in a 10 or 15 minute appointment. So find a GP with an interest in women's health. Google, look at the GP practice, say, oh, she's got an interest in women's health, great, or he's got an interest in women's health. Talk to your friends. A lot of GPs do subspecialize. So if you've got a GP who desperately wanted to be a plastic surgeon and didn't get onto the program, so they mainly do skin cancers, they're probably not the best person to see because you've got problems with your periods. Doesn't mean they're not a great GP. You know, it's normal. We're better at things we're interested in. So one, find a GP that has an interest in women's health. Get some, you know, blood. If you think it's, you know, a hormonal problem, if you haven't had your period back or they're really heavy or there's something, you know, we start off by basic blood tests we do. We also check for some more rarer things, you know, could you have too much prolactin from your pituitary? Could there be something else going on? So yeah, I think, yeah, definitely seeing your GP and also having making a diary. So diarying your symptoms, tracking your menstrual cycle because we have such busy lives. It's really hard to, oh, my periods are a bit irregular or, yeah, I feel a bit yeah. this. I think there's some great apps, you know, there's the Garmin app, the Flow app, all these different apps that can help you track your symptoms and cycle. And they're really beneficial just for getting more, you know, knowledge and evidence of what could be going on. The other thing, you know, your GP is really the best person, you know, to work with. And I say, try and see the same GP because it's really hard to build that rapport. Yeah. Because you and your GP are working as a team together on your health. And so that's really hard if every, you know, every time you've got a different person on your team. So I think building that rapport and a good relationship with your GP is really beneficial. Yeah, that continuity of care for me has been really important in just like being able to understand where I'm at with everything, like all the tests that I've done. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, getting tests done, you're not going to get tested for absolutely everything the first time you see a doctor. That would be it would be silly, like irresponsible from the doctor and not be beneficial for you. So you might get a few tests done. If they're all normal, then you might get some other ones done. And it's like a stepwise progression. And that's, yeah, that's the perfect relationship you want with a GP that you work on it together. Yeah, great tips there. If you want to go and check out more of Dr. Izzy's content, you can find her on Instagram at Dr. Izzy K. Smith. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was so valuable. I feel like my mind's exploding. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me today, Jo. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated.